Did you play a little bit with the approach from this morning? <coughs> yeah. Good. Um, <coughs> so this is what I want to expand a, a little bit on. Uh, let's backtrack a little bit. <coughs> um, it might have occurred to you from time to time on this retreat, what is the point of all this? <laughs> um, the point is, less dukkha, less dukkha. That's where we're heading. You can translate that how you like, less unnecessary suffering, less difficulty, less dis-ease, less disconnection, all of that. That's the point. So everything, everything is in the service of that. The point of the teachings of emptiness, again, are for that, in the service of that. And I would say, again, why we have the candle here is the hope that, that uh, that's what starts to manifest in us, starts to open in us, and frees up our capacity to offer in the world. So, so far, mostly, if we go right back to one of the first talks, it said there's just pedagogically speaking, we can divide emptiness into two. Emptiness of persons, of, of personal selves, and emptiness of phenomena. And so far, not exclusively, but mostly, we've dwelt on the emptiness of the personal, uh, the personal self. Um, that's important. So... It, may be getting clearer and clearer that suffering, dukkha, needs the self as a kind of center of gravity. In a way, suffering orbits and is in relationship to a sense of self. Right? Um, and what have we seen so far meditatively, and hopefully this gets clearer and clearer and one sees it over and over, <clears throat> when, through whichever practice we've been going about this, the sense of self gets uh, quieter, moves down on that spectrum we've been talking about, when that happens, the suffering, the experience of suffering, dukkha, also goes down. Right? Can we... Is that much pretty clear? Yeah? So, that's an important insight. Suffering goes with the sense of self, and we can actually see that. Um, when we do the not me, not mine as well, when we, uh, to the degree that we are able to unhook the habitual identification with experience, with phenomena, with that which we usually identify with, to that degree, again, the suffering goes out of the experience. You may have found exceptions to that. Um, <clears throat> sometimes it's because there's hidden identification. So, for instance, uh, you have a pain in the knee and you're not mean at mind, you're sure you're not identified with it. But there's identification with awareness that we've touched on. And that identification is enough to solidify the suffering. And if uh, we had a bit more practice with a bit more skill and were able to unhook that identification too, we would notice uh, that release. So we've heard this a lot in the teachings, and you've heard, certainly heard uh, what I've just said, uh, <coughs> or much of it, uh, on retreats before before you arrived here. It's clear in a lot of teachings about the self being the problem and the center of the problem. And you've probably seen that before as well. Now I'm beginning to expand. I'm beginning to expand and moving more into the emptiness of phenomena, the emptiness of all things, all things. 
So, you know, there's different ways of teaching this and different ways of going about, and I think, again, going back to one of the first talks, we can talk about does the chair inherently exist, does a table inherently exist, does a chariot inherently exist. Um, A danger or a potential pitfall is is it just stays at a kind of intellectual sort of uh, sophist sophist level of, of... philosophical games. Not that it must, but that's that's a potential danger. And I think I said in one of the first talks, it seems to me that we get more fruit in, in investigating emptiness. We actually try to find the emptiness of what we're actually having a difficulty with. The actual, we feel the difficulty of something, and because it's present in that way, and because it feels relevant in that way, uh, it's actually uh, easier to go that way. And we're suffering because we're not seeing the emptiness of it. So that, again, horses for courses, but to me that, that seems like a helpful, a helpful approach. I actually go with what uh, in, in the moment feels gripping, because we haven't seen the emptiness of it. And that emptiness is actually, funnily enough, um, often easier to see in what we're actually suffering with in the moment than, say, in a table which can appear a bit, or a chair which can feel a bit abstract. So, what do we suffer with, you know, in the course of a day here? Suffer with um, body? Suffer with the sense of self or self-image or what's my image in relationship to other people? Suffer with anger and aversion? Frustration? Fear? All this is going on for people. Um, We suffer also, in a way, with craving see that. Now, uh, when there's craving, we're not always conscious of the suffering, but when there's craving, that's also a good place to look, to start looking for the emptiness. When we notice craving, ah. So when we notice suffering, sure, but also when we notice craving, whatever it is, tasty food, uh, this or that experiences, this or that kind of relationship, and again, this goes back to, I think, the first talk, looking at the situation, where do, do I feel stuck in a retreat? Is there a retreat, really, that I'm stuck in? Uh, stuck in a relationship, or a terrible situation, or whatever it is, uh, in a painful body. Th- those, those are the experiences that we move through, we suffer with, they feel alive for us. And th- those are the good ones to look at. And we talked about a lot of this, uh, how countries were empty, etc., etc. And it can get very subtle. So all this is review, you know, from, you know, on one level it's, it's, it should be blatantly obvious that a country is empty of inherent existence, and yet uh, humanity seems quite difficult uh, to, for humanity to, to get that. And all, all the bloodshed and all the war and all that comes out of that belief in the inherent existence of countries. <clears throat> and as we've touched on, it gets very, very subtle, talking about the space and time and awareness. These things we take so for granted, so for granted, the basic facets of our existence, and they too are empty. And there's that spectrum of subtlety. And we are learning in practice, as I said uh, last night and repeated many times last night, we're learning to see in different ways, ways that bring freedom. We're learning to see emptiness, the emptiness of these things that cause difficulty, that we feel difficulty with. We're learning to see that emptiness in different ways. And that process takes time. There's, there's, it, 
I've never met anyone that it, that it doesn't take time with. We're learning to see in whole different ways, pierce this veil of what seems so obvious, the inherent existence of things, and learning to see in ways that, that go through that. <clears throat> so, I'm going to make a statement which I've kind of, I'm not sure if I said it outright before, but uh, I've probably said it or at least implied it. It is the mind, or you could say delusion, that gives phenomena solidity, substantiality, concreteness. It's the mind or delusion that gives phenomena a solidity, a substantiality, concreteness which they don't inherently have by themselves. And then the mind suffers over that, either grasps for it or uh, wants to get rid of it. And a person can think, well, I mean, I don't know, you know. I mean, I really do have this pain in my knee. Uh, and it's really there and it really hurts. And are you saying that it doesn't exist? What are you saying? The mind and the delusion, the deluded mind, in, in any moment, gives solidity, etc., substantiality, concreteness to experience. Now this meditation we did this morning and that kind of approach, we're actually learning to, again, a way of looking, a way of relating that gives less substantiality to experience. Did you get a little bit of a sense of that? Yeah? Good. Um, now there are many approaches too. Substan the substantiality of, of something is empty. It's a dependent arising. So when something's a dependent arising, it always depends on more than one thing. So that means there's always more than one approach. I can, <clears throat> someone say it's like a, you know, suffering and the world of experience is like a house of cards. And that means I can pull this card out, and I can pull this card out, or I could pull this card out. Some of the cards I pull out won't make much difference. But there's quite a few cards I can pull out of this house of cards, and something crumbles, either the whole thing crumbles or some degree of crumbling. That's, in a way, what we're engaged in here. Uh, it, it will become clearer over the days. So there are, there are lots of approaches. So today we just, we just talked about one. And I think I said, again, that it's, it's not obvious. I don't think it's obvious at all uh, to human beings or even practitioners of long-standing, even, that we suffer because we don't see emptiness of things, but we see the inherent existence instead. We see substantiality of things. It takes... I don't, I'm not sure, but it seems to me that that takes a long time to be to become clear that that's why we suffer. Uh, later, uh, as the retreat goes on, I'm going to really, really fill this out, this house of cards uh, <coughs> image that I just talked about, and really see how it's not just that mind and delusion give substantiality to phenomenal experience, but they also build they build phenomenal experience in the first place. They fabricate it and concoct it to translate the Buddha's words. That's the translation of sankara, to sankara something, to fabricate or concoct. We're going to go into that in much more detail. This goes very, very deep. So any experience of anything, <coughs> for it to be an experience, the mind has to fabricate it and concoct it. So whatever it is, Physical pain, tiredness, fear, anger, 
sadness, the things that appear to us of the world, they are all as experiences, they are fabricated, concocted by the deluded mind. We're going to explain that much more and just putting that out there as a bit of a preview. So, three things are connected, or three ways of looking, states of being are connected. The more we see things with the lenses of the three characteristics, um, we've touched on this, the more uh, suffering goes out, the more the reactivity goes out of experience. Right? That when, when we see in terms of three characteristics, we're actually, however we're approaching it, we're letting go of this tussle, this clinging that we usually have with experience. So three characteristics bring less tussle, less push and pull. Another word for that is equanimity. Equanimity, almost by definition, is the quietening of the push and pull with experience. Make sense? So three characteristics bring equanimity, and they also will lead... What we did this morning, you will find that given time, and some of you may have already felt this, well, that was kind of where I was going anyway with the three characteristics. Does some, some of you get that sense? That the space we uh, of the guided meditation this morning was kind of where you were headed anyway a little bit with the three characteristics. It's the letting go. It's the letting go. And it's that when we let go via the three characteristics, um, it, it tends to happen that the mind opens up in a, in a more spacious way. One of those three characteristics is the way. Yes, and when we let go, what tends to then happen in the mind is a sense of spaciousness and opening up like that. Yeah? So you've got three things. You've got three characteristics, equanimity and this kind of spacious awareness. They all feed each other. In a way, the, the more the three characteristics we just said, the more the equanimity. And the more the equanimity, the more the space opens up. The more the equanimity, the easier we see the three characteristics. In a space of equanimity, the three characteristics start to become obvious, and obvious ways to relate to experience. The more the equanimity, the more the space of awareness opens up. Or the more the three characteristics, the more the space of awareness opens up. The more the space of awareness opens up, again, the easier it is certainly to feel equanimous in relationship to experience, and the more obvious it is that three characteristics open up. Do you understand? So everything is... uh, Again, it's mutual dependency, mutual dependency. I said this before, but um, <clears throat> oftentimes when the, when the causality seems to go one way, it goes the other way too. It goes in the reverse direction. And that's uh, something that can end up being very, very useful to us as meditators. I didn't understand that. Um, well, for instance, if, if I... Um, if I want, uh, let's say I want to feel more equanimous, well, I could contemplate with the three characteristics. Let's say another day I can't find my way into the three characteristics, I could try establishing more of this space. Let's start again. If I, uh, if I want to open up into that space, I can practice three characteristics and it will lead there. Another day I might have trouble finding my way into three characteristics practice or seeing the three characteristics. I might find my way into that space and just open up a sense of space and then the three characteristics become more visible and more works both ways. 
And, and this is how we want to use it. We want to take advantage of that. That's why I mean useful for a meditator, that we want, want to use it like that and really take advantage of it like that. So, uh, just in terms of review of what we did this morning, you can start with listening. And in a way, the listening is very helpful and that allows the space to open up. Because sounds come from all different directions and all different distances, the, it naturally lends the, the, the consciousness uh, a sense of openness and opening out to receive the sound. So it will naturally tend to open up. And as I said at the end this morning, can do this with the eyes open or the eyes closed actually makes very little difference. And somehow, going via the sound or via the body also that we did this morning, beginning to establish kind of what we could call a global awareness, an awareness of the totality of experience. So including the body, including sound, including thoughts that come through. It's just almost like the space is open to everything and includes everything. It's global awareness, total awareness. And beginning to almost tune into, or focus is too strong a word, but get a sense of that space. So this morning, in the guided meditation, the, the leaning there was to get a sense of this space. So rather than just the three characteristics, actually tuning in more to the space as a subjective factor or experience. Yeah? And then, again, this is just a review of the guided meditation, and then getting this sense that uh, all phenomena are kind of held within that space of awareness. All phenomena are kind of effortlessly embraced and held in that. And, even more, all phenomena, all experience, seem to, or can be seen to, appear out of that space of awareness and disappear back into it. Were you getting that sense a little bit at times today? Some of you? Yeah, great, great. And we can kind of encourage that, encourage that, and let everything, let everything belong to awareness. It all just, look, it's coming out and it's fading back in and, and kind of letting it fade back there, letting it fade back there. That's where it belongs. It belongs to awareness. It belongs to the space. Practicing ways of looking. Ah. Are you avoiding awareness and spaces? At this point, yes. In other words, the spa- I'll, I'll touch on this more in the talk, but at this point, yes, the, the space is the space of awareness. But I'll, I'll qualify this in several different ways uh, tonight and also later in the retreat. Um, so, where does this come from? We've already said it comes from letting go. The more I let go, in whatever way, the more this space and this sense of the space as a kind of backdrop and uh, something that holds everything will open up. The more I let go, the more that opens up. And once you've got a sense of space, did you notice how, how then it was helping to let go? Yeah. So it aids letting go in relationship to what? To experiences and phenomena. <clears throat> so, this backdrop or kind of ground, this kind of ground, uh, background or ground of being, sometimes people call it, it begins to get more prominent. Instead of just experience and phenomenal experience that arises, passes, I like it, I don't like it, this or that sensation or thought or whatever it is. Instead of that, the mind always being occupied and entangled and preoccupied with phenomenal experience arising and passing, it begins to be that the, the kind of more steady ground bega- begins to be, become more prominent to, to awareness. You can 
And and again, I was just pointing, suggesting in the guided meditation to get that sense of that of that ground and the kind of uh, piece of it, the undisturbable, unshakable piece of it. It's as I said, it can't um, be disturbed. Just like the space in this room cannot be disturbed by anything that is in it. Rhinoceros could come, uh, is barging through the door, do a little twirly dance. Space unaffected, unaffected, doesn't affect the space. Space just holds everything effortlessly, unblemished, unperturbed. And if, sometimes when it goes really deep, you can actually give more and more attention to the qualities of space. It actually has a, a sense of unfathomable peace to it. It's almost like you can't, you can't even plumb the depths of that peace. Do you mean that in the physical sense? Space what? in a physical sense, or in a sense. Well, with the rhino- so I'm I'm uh, making a well both. Um, I'm I'm making an analogy, if you like, with the actual physical space and the way that is unperturbed by whatever events happen in it, and making an analogy of that and the space of awareness being unperturbed by what events happen, what mental events or impre- impressions or experience happen in that space. So. so I'm not sure I really, I'm not sure I kind of agree with that more. Okay, which bit do you not agree with? Um, well, I just, I'm just aware, maybe I'm being pedantic, but in, um, in, the ter- in terms of science, science says that physical, actual space is affected by... Okay, um, yeah, fine, good, um, good, good, good. By mass. Good, okay. And it's distorted Great. by... Yes, yes, so like general relativity yeah. theories of gravity, yeah, okay. Does everyone know what this is about? <clears throat> Um, well, uh, <laughs> do we really want to go into general relativity tonight? Um, no, I'm, I'm the, okay, it's important though because um, the point is that's right, apparently, you know, so says Einstein, um, and I'm sure he was right. Um, our actual experience of space is what I'm talking about. So the talk tonight, um, and in fact, most of the talks are practical experience related. So when I say that's like space, I'm talking about our experience of space. Our experience of outer sp- I mean, space outside of ourselves is like that. It, we see a rhinoceros coming in. We don't see the space, the fabric of the space-time continuum, you know, slightly curved because there's a rhinoceros in the room. Our, and I'm sure it does that according to the equations, but our experience is that basically it doesn't make any difference. Um, and similarly, our phenomenal experience, which is where I'm going, especially with this talk, I'm talking about phenomenal experience as a meditator, is that we can also get a sense that whatever happens in the internal, whatever you call the space of awareness, also does not affect the mind. So, again, I'll touch on this more. There's lots we can quibble with here, but what I'm really wanting to point to is a way of practicing that's probably going to be very, very helpful for most people in this room. Okay. Yeah, it was just an kind of, it was just a little nagging. Yeah, sure. So, and and that's good, but um, I'm not going to get too much into the intellectuality, especially tonight. Uh, later on in the retreat, we'll, we will get much more sophisticated and subtle with this. But yeah. Okay. So, and then at one point in the guided meditation, you use this phrase: can, "Is it possible to to get a sense of everything, all phenomena, as it, just impressions in awareness?" Just impressions and awareness. Again, what I was really just throwing out kind of different ways that different people might feel find helpful. But the important point here is that can everything be included? Can everything be included in that way of looking? So, as I said, 
towards the end, it's like, even the sense of self can be experienced as just an impression in awareness. And it begins to get kind of uh, washed over by the water or swallowed uh, in, in that sense. So sometimes one can sit in meditation, actually the sense of self is, is still there as a meditator very much. What happens if one turns this way of looking on that sense of the self? I'm sitting there and I have a, if you're, if you're visual, you have an image of yourself sitting. And then that too, is it just an impression of awareness? Just an impression. Now how much can be included? How total can it be? How much can this sen- sense expand to include everything? And for, I'm not sure uh, what happened today in your in your meditations, but sometimes doing this, there can arise quite, excuse me, either a lot or just a little, a sense of freedom. Did anyone experience? Yeah? Good. Sense of freedom, sense of even, occasionally, bliss, joy, happiness, uh, clarity, etc. So it may, may have happened today, some people might want to, This is the sort of thing that can arise at times, but that too can get included. So you have two options. One is just to enjoy it, uh, which is great, and I always, uh, always would recommend that. And, um, and the second one is actually, again, to turn the same way of looking at even that. Even that. So there's a sense of freedom or uh, lightness, whatever it is. That, that, too, is an impression in awareness. And what we notice is, as we do that, and as we get kind of... Uh, could say more skilled at looking this way or opening this way, things start to get less substantial. They start to feel less substantial and appear less substantial. Mm. And as that deepens, and I, I uh, also put this in the guided meditation, as that deepens, I don't know if maybe it's too early to say this, but uh, maybe not, it begins to see not only that they get less substantial, but to seem also that they're, so to speak, made of the same stuff as that space, made of the same substance as awareness, so to speak. So it doesn't matter if that happened today or not, I'm just kind of outlining, I mean, it's great if it did, and that's where we're heading, but uh, I'm just outlining the way something may unfold, and it's actually quite important that it unfolds this way for this practice, eventually, at whatever pace one, one goes at. something have a substance if it's empty? Uh, okay, but the, the, in, in the way that, you could say, the substance of space. It might, it might be the very substance of emptiness, you could say that, if that makes sense. It's like the, there's nothing there. That, that, that's what I mean. It's not like... Uh, so when we usually think of space, we say, well, that cushion is solid, but the space around it is different texture. And it begins, it's like, uh, I think, in the guided meditation, talking about if you really listen, if you really open to sounds and silence, eventually you get a sense of the, the silence around sounds. And then you just stay with that and you keep opening to it. And eventually it's almost like the silence permeates sound. Beautiful. Same thing with this. The, aware, the sense of awareness or, as emptiness or space whatever, begins to permeate the, the phenomenal appearances. Yeah, in time. Another lovely thing happens, another beautiful thing can happen, uh, eventually will happen with this. Love comes. Love comes. And I don't know, maybe some of you touched it today, maybe it's too early, it's fine. But natura- naturally and uh, without effort, quite uh, organically, out of this way of looking, love will come. Why is that? Why is that? It's because 
in this way of looking and in this way that um, we're not getting so dragged into this experience, I like it, this experience, I don't like it, that experience, I'm not sure, this experience, I definitely don't want that one, this, that, 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 this, that, this, that, this, not so drawn into that, in the world of separate things and separations, not so drawn into that, but more in, in a sense of totality and something embracing everything, and then even deeper, this sense of things, all things being of one substance. Where there's a sense of oneness, non-separation, there's going to be love. It's going to open up love organically, organically. sense of unity there. could also, where there's uh, everything, where there's space for everything, there's no conflict between things. There doesn't need to be any conflict. This thing, that thing, may like it, may not like it, but there's space for everything. Non-conflict. <clears throat> and even deeper, sometimes you get a sense with this space of awareness, it's like, it's not your vast awareness and my vast awareness. It's almost a sense that there is just vast awareness. Right. Yeah. Is it uh, uh, right to think of this uh, kind of spaciousness as uh, not as something that uh, absolute uh, end of the truth, but yeah. Just a mind state. Yeah, I'll but get a very to beneficial one. I'm gonna exactly what I'm gonna get onto right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So and this space is empty too. Yes. <laughs> yes, but okay, and and it, it comes right now. It's a curious thing teaching this business because um, some of you, if you if you take this up, some of you will fall in love with this space, and I used to think that. Everyone needed to fall in love with this space. That it's it's such a it seems such a natural part of consciousness deepening and opening that we really need to fall in love with the beauty of it. Eventually, it takes time. And in this doesn't uh, as a meditation or would it belong just to the Buddhist tradition? Plenty of other traditions. Uh, most mystic paths will lead to this at, either as a final point or as a as a stepping stone. And you get different names, uh, different names that people call it. The ground of being, and that one's from Paul Tillich, a uh, very uh, important uh, German theologian. The ground of being, some people will call it the unconditioned, uh, as opposed to the conditions which arise within that. Uh, cosmic consciousness, uh, awareness with a capital A, uh, big mind, uh, one mind, God. All, all names that people give it, uh, based on their experience. But so, I'm pick, picking up on on Bill's thing a little bit uh, tonight, a little bit, and uh, in future talks a lot. Okay. What's also interesting about this space is that for a dedicated meditator, it can have different colours. I don't mean visual colors. Well, actually, visual colors too, but primarily it's either it's usually black. Eventually, if you've got your eyes closed, um, or uh, but I don't mean that so much as uh, f flavors of quality, and uh, so it can have the quality of silence. It's silence. It's that silence uh, that holds everything. It can actually have the quality of just space. It can, as we were emphasizing this morning, have the quality of awareness. It feels like it's awareness. It can, as I think I mentioned last night in the talk, have a quality of love. 
but actually what's permeating everything vastly and universally, universally is love, a kind of universal cosmic love woven into the fabric of the universe. can have that flavor. So I'm talking about very palpable senses that a meditator may come across in meditation and even get very, very familiar with. Compassion, etc. Different, different people, different times, and different people have different tendencies to have those tendencies. Both. So uh, what, it, will, it will mostly depend... Uh, there may be some karmic predisposition for a person to go one way versus, versus another, but it will mostly actually depend on what practice one's doing and how one's orienting it. Um, so I would expect... Uh, someone doing a lot of metta practice or compassion practice to actually more go into a perception of universal compassion that's actually holding everything. And in fact, this retreat before, uh, in its earlier incarnation as a, th- a, th- a three-week loving kindness and compassion as a path to awakening retreat that we did with John and, and Catherine, um, uh, as people went on, that was quite a common experience. Just compassion holding all the suffering. And it's, it's very palpable, very beautiful, very transforming. Uh, joy can also be joy. It's like the texture of the universe is joy. It's joy, peace, nothingness. can have all these different flavors and textures. And wonderfully, beautifully, a dedicated medica- meditator can know them all. You can taste all those flavors. You can get to know them all. Uh, what we're emphasizing today, and this morning, was the flavor of awareness. That, that's got this uh, it's, it's awareness that holds everything. It's awareness that pervades, so to speak. However, um, I feel important as that is, very important, uh, if, if uh, it feels like this is helpful, to pursue this and open, maybe get even different flavors, etc., on this retreat or other retreats, or whatever it is, in one's life. However, the very fact that it can be colored different ways points to the fact that it's still a fabricated perception. It's still a perception that's being conditioned. You understand? <coughs> so... What to do with that? Um, what to do with that? I guess I've had a teacher who uh, talks about these different flavors of true nature that mm-hmm. compassion can mm-hmm. arise. Mm-hmm. Compassion is an aspect of true nature. Yeah. So, I don't know, do you want to say something to that? I, um, I think the way I would, again, and I talked yesterday about precision or poetic language, strictly speaking, the way I would feel more comfortable with putting it, and and just for myself, is flavors, perceptions, things arise as dependent arisings. And when there is more openness, less clinging, less self, etc., more wisdom and less ignorance, the tendency of flavors uh, will be more in terms of love and, and uh, oneness and vastness, etc. So you could say they're expressions of uh, wisdom mind. You could say something like that. And if you want to say true nature, it's okay. But um, So I can see that, but it's, it's almost like we have to be careful not to reify true nature. And that, so that's... It has to do with what I was saying last night. About, yeah. um, partly what I'm saying is, as well, uh, and I'll... I will repeat this later in this talk, is, um, you know, like I said at the beginning of this talk, there's so many styles of teaching this stuff. Uh, I don't have a problem if you fall in love with this. I don't have a problem if you call it God. I don't have a problem if you, any of that, if you call it true nature, etc. 
Um, what's important is that it's a platform that's bringing you a lot more freedom, a lot more sense of connection, love, etc. And eventually, one will go go deeper than that. One will see see beyond that. I'll, I'll revisit that. But we get. If I just said what I said, you already get the sense. It's a conditioned perception because I can color it this way. I can color it this way. And even a skilled meditator can color in the same sitting. Can choose to color it eeny meeny miny mo, and move between. Just by knows how to, is skilled in fabricating. Not not very far fetched. Actually, can perceive this for a few minutes and then choose to perceive this and then choose to perceive that and get a sense. This is a conditioned perception still. It might not seem like it. Now, sometimes when a meditator stumbles on this, it has it really does feel like wow, this is really something ultimately real. It can have that uh, for some people that sense of impact, but. Uh, still in the realm of conditioned perception. So, we're going to talk a lot about this later on in the retreat, a lot about this, and how would I go beyond that? How would I, If it's still a conditioned perception, so deep, so beautiful, so freeing, how would I go beyond that to what might be less fabricated or not fabricated, more true? <laughs> yeah, good, good. Well, what if there was something... What if... Okay, this, this thing has a degree of beauty, which is probably, for most people, probably about, uh, about the most beautiful and the most freeing that one has come across and opens the most love that one has come across in one's life. But what if there was something that did that even more? Released, released the sense of uh, existence even more than that. Had even more of a long-term deeper cut in, in terms of one's suffering, one's delusion, one's tendency to build problems and self and, and all that, even deeper, and was even more remarkable to the point where you can barely put it into language uh, in terms of the freedom that it brought. And is it fair to say that this experience can be had in meditation, that it doesn't free you from samsara? Okay. So this is, it won't, technically speaking, it won't free you from samsara, this, this, so if, you, if you're talking technically, it won't free, I, I would put it, because people have problems with what does samsara actually mean, and I'm definitely not going to get into that tonight, but um, uh, we could say that it, it if, I, if I just have an experience of this, it's not going to bring much freedom. If I have a one-off experience, what's going to happen probably is I'll cling to it. How did I get? How did that happen? I want to get back there. We've touched on this before. If I have enough experiences, it will. It will. If I have enough experiences, it will affect the being very deeply. The important thing, though, and I've said this before, is to suck the insight out of this, which I'm going to get to in this talk, um, as well as being touched and uh, kind of cellularly transformed by that experience. But it doesn't cut at deep enough level in the long run. It will lead. It's a. It's a bit like. Um, because in that in that space, one hasn't actually, as I said, we need to explicitly see through the inherent existence of things, including this space, eventually. And if I haven't seen, if there's something remaining that I haven't seen the inherent existence of, it's a bit like gruesome image, excuse me. But if if someone has a cancer and they do an operation to remove it, but they don't find, they leave some cells there. It's a bit like that. Something else will grow. That's uh, you understand. So, we're going to talk a lot about how would one, how would a dedicated meditator actually even go beyond that and see the emptiness of this later. We'll, we'll get to it. We have to, 
maybe you've picked up on it already, but the style of teaching that I feel most helpful is go by go by stages, go by stepping stones. You can't jump all the way. However, I'm going to throw out a little trick, uh, a cheap trick. (laughs) 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 Has anyone heard of Jean Klein? Anyone heard of Jean Klein? He's an advisor. He's probably dead now. I don't know. But uh, um, he has a book called Who Am I? Which is quite an interesting book to read. Uh, He has some. I think some uh, well that book I really like uh, I haven't read it for years but I, I liked it at the time and some other books which I wasn't so keen on but anyway um, Jean Klein and um, similar sort of approach and everything is happening in awareness everything is happening in this space but That sense of awareness, in other words, is not that sense of awareness is not awareness itself. It's a kind of sense of awareness. It's an image of awareness. Do, do you understand? It's like we we can almost have some people if they're very visual, almost get a, set, a visual sense of space in which things are happening. So th- we have a sense of awareness, but that's not awareness itself. So what if I then went one step further and said this sense of awareness? is also just an impression. It's also just happening. So play with it. Try it. It's a, it's a, um, when, if you're doing this uh, and letting everything belong to the awareness and letting everything have the sense of everything's in awareness, so to speak, in the space of awareness, sometimes what can happen is we get a sense of this awareness, and that's what I was kind of encouraging this morning. But that sense of awareness is still, it can't be awareness itself, because I have a sense of it. it would be, so it's almost like, what if I then said, okay, this sense that I have of awareness is not awareness itself, that too is something in awareness. And I kind of saw the sense of awareness in that way. It can, well, play with it, play with it if you want. It's, um, it's not as deep as some of the ways we'll see to expose the emptiness of it, as, as we'll, we'll go in later, but can be very, very helpful. So see that that global sense is also uh, in awareness. See it also as in awareness. Okay, um, I want to touch on a slight variation of this approach. Slight variation, which didn't really go near tonight. So it's a second kind of way of doing it. It's slightly different, but it has some overlap. Um, there is a school of Buddhist philosophy that's not really, well, officially it's not around much anymore, but actually it's very healthy and alive. Um, but officially it's not, and it's called Chittamatra. Chitta means mind or heart, and matra is, one of the translations of matra is only. So it translates as only, only. So it translates as mind only. C-I-T-T-A-M-A-T-R-A Chitta-matra, mind only. And another almost synonymous kind of term for that sort of school in, in Dharma teaching, not quite, but almost, is yogachara. Okay, Y-O-G-A-C-A-R-A. And that translates as something like the practice of yoga, or the practice of meditation, you could say. Um, but they're similar sort of... Sp- dream of philosophy in Buddhist teaching that arose uh, prominently early Mahayana kind of thing. Uh, 
Yogacara is interesting. Uh, sometimes a way of thinking about what Yogacara actually is, is it's a, a school of philosophy that was arose uh, by, you know, from hardcore meditators, from yogis, rather than from philosophers. So it was people meditating a lot and having a lot of experiences and then trying, uh, led by their practice and led by these openings in practice, actually trying to, uh, or, or just finding themselves, interpreting their experiences in a certain way rather than coming from a, a sort of philosophical point of view, an intellectual point of view, and saying that has to be like this. And da, da, da. Um, but in a way, all those uh, flavors that I was talking about before and the different names, people, ground of being or God or cosmic consciousness, in a way they're also, in other traditions, yogis, meditators, uh, interpreting their, what feels a very deep meditation experiences, interpreting them in a certain way. Because, actually, this space, I would say, is, one of, uh, is a relatively common opening for a dedicated meditator. Some of you may have come across it well before today, just in your practice. Uh, it won't feel that new, I know, to many of you. It's actually quite a common, natural opening of consciousness for a meditator. Why? Going back to the beginning, it comes from letting go. It's a natural opening of consciousness when we let the more we let go. Um, and then, of course, uh, the mind wants to interpret it in a certain way and call it this or give it this or that meaning or significance. So, in a way, Chittamatra philosophy is, a, is this mind-only philosophy, is a theory to interpret meditation experience that people are having. Um, and mind-only, you can hear what it means. It's saying, there is only mind. There is only mind meaning awareness equating mind in a word. Everything is just awareness. You following this? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so this second way of going about it is slightly different. It says this. Starts with some reflection. This moment of consciousness, this moment of consciousness, there's actually no proof that the outer perceived aspect, the so-called object that appears, exists independently of the inner perceiving aspect. Uh, the inner perceiving aspect of a moment of consciousness can't arise without the outer perceiving aspect. We, talk, we touched on this before and said it's like, you know, consciousness and its object are like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, where there's a knowing of something, is something that's known. Uh, and vice versa, you can't have an outer perceived aspect without an inner perceiving aspect of consciousness. Both simultaneously have to be there. Okay. A perceiving consciousness without an object of perception, perceiving consciousness without an object of perception is actually a contradiction in terms. How can you have a perceiving consciousness that doesn't perceive anything, doesn't perceive an object? It's a contradiction in terms. As is an object of perception with no perceiving consciousness. You, you following this? Yeah. One does not arise before another in that moment. They don't, again, we could say, they don't have an independent existence of each other. And so often, some Chittamatra philosophy uses the analogy of a dream. Dream. Dream appearances don't exist independent of the dreaming mind. I'm dreaming of a tiger being chased by a tiger. That 
tiger appearance does not exist independently of the dreaming mind. A moment of dream mind arises together with the dream object. The dream object does not appear before or after that dream moment of consciousness, and vice versa. The dream moment of consciousness does not arise before or after the moment of the object of that dream consciousness. So that's a sort of a very crude summary of, of uh, a way of reflecting. And again, uh, similar to what we're talking about tonight, reflecting on that view and actually reaching some conviction in that view. Actually, you know, yeah, okay. And uh, in other words, that the idea of a separate, truly existing object, either outer, so-called, or inner, is an unnecessary, <laughs> an unnecessary invention of the mind. And then uh, one reflects on that and kind of sustains that view. So you're, you're kind of looking at an object, if you've got your eyes open, and actually seeing there, there's no, uh, in a way, they're of the same substance. There's no actual uh, necessary difference in uh, material substance there. So resting in that meditation, focus, the focus in that meditation is on what emptiness means in this case, is emptiness of any mind-matter dichotomy or mind-experience dichotomy, awareness-experience dichotomy. So in this slightly different approach, the focus is not so much on the mind or awareness as it was in the first approach, you know, really getting a sense of awareness uh, as such, but is more the focus, it's more kind of uh, sharp in a way, uh, more gathered, that uh, the focus at each moment, uh, one's focusing on there not being a difference in substance between awareness and experience. Um, Just one second. D does that... That what is actually empty in this case is any real dichotomy between mind or awareness and matter, or you could say awareness and experience. That they're not actually, we tend to think, most humans tend to think they're different things, of course. You've got the world out there and the mind somewhere in here. And actually beginning to see that in terms of experience, it's all the same stuff. They're, you understand? You can't actually prove that there's something out there that arises independent of the mind. The, the actual experience has an inner perceiving aspect, this consciousness, an outer perceiving aspect, the object that we feel we're looking at. And just sustaining that sense of they're actually not split, so to speak. Okay. Um, so, the, um, so the, say, a candle that's you're perceiving mm -hmm. in your mind... Yeah. Is not actually separate from the candle that you're seeing, as it were. Uh, you think you're seeing out there. The, the, the candle you're seeing out there, it, what this is moving towards is actually, um, and one does this and kind of stays steady with that reflection over and over, and um, could be visual, could be auditory, could be, you know, people have maybe different senses that will be easier. But um, what's happening is one's getting a sense of uh, everything in a way being of the substance of mind or the manifestation of mind is not actually something that's separatable from mind. What I'm actually looking at, what I'm actually experiencing is is inseparable from the mind. Inseparable from the awareness. Is it any different from the 
fifth aggregate um, consciousness always arising with an um, uh, It's only different if I... Um, the, the difference is... Um, well, people can hear that consciousness always arises with an object as two th- separate things arising together. Mm-hmm. Or you can hear it as it's actually one thing. Mm-hmm. Or you can hear it as things that are neither separate nor one. And that last one is, is the ultimately true meaning. They're n- not separate things and they're not one thing. What, I- I'll say a bit more about this. Th- this is quite... So, if you're feeling uncomfortable at this point, uh, I agree. Okay, I don't feel totally comfortable with this. What it's basically saying is, um, or this is a crude version. There's many different types of Chittamatra philosophy, and the crudest version is that there's nothing out there at all. There's nothing actual material that really exists, and it's all the play of mind. It's all the substance of mind. Well, if there's nothing that exists, the mind doesn't exist either. We will get to that. Um, uh, basic Chittamatra says all that exists is the mind, and that really exists but nothing else. That's basic. Later in the retreat, we'll, we will come back and say, does, that, does the mind exist? And the answer is no, in, not inherently. But stages, stages, okay? Um, so, Can I just say something? I, 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 especially experiencing difficult emotional states, I mean, like fear, for example. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my, you know, normally you, you go off and looking at things and judging them, through memories of what something was meant to you. And then you do experience yourself as, you know, I am experiencing fear, etc., etc. And when somehow, perhaps by the grace of God, whatever, it feels like you, you, you slip into the fear, mm-hmm. and it feels like dying, you know, but you become exactly what you're just talking about, totally one with that. Mm-hmm. And then you, well, you, you're unified. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think this is an enormously important route through, mm-hmm. and it takes courage because you do feel like you're dying, you're losing your grip on yourself, literally. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's a it's like a highway into emptiness, yeah. you know, so I just wanted to... Yeah, so that, that's what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, uh, and, and of course, you know, Bruce, one can do it, w- if one takes this up as a meditation, it's not just on the difficult things. Don't want everything. Sure. Everything, well, everything. I, I suppose it's in that resistance and looking through the lens of how things used to be. Um, I mean, that's that's sort of major stance of the sense of I, isn't it, you know? What is? That, that when you resist something, mm-hmm. you're avoiding something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're looking at it through the lens of mm-hmm. who you take yourself to be from, mm-hmm. from the past. Yeah. So, there, there are moments, I think it must happen to all of us when you're meditating, when you're on the edge... <sighs> There's a kind of crumbling in, and there's that crumbling, which is, I think, such an opportunity. Um, yeah, so sure. it, it, it's more evident, um, you know. Um, yeah, all I'm adding is that you don't have to wait for a difficulty. You can kind of sustain this view and actually just all experience, like, look at it this way, look at it this way. So it's like each moment is, uh, each moment of experience, to say, it's empty of a difference in nature of perceiver, of awareness and perceived. Um... So you just wanted us to take that message from the Mind Only School and sort of li- just with that, because I've studied the Mind Only okay, School. Okay, yes. Um, yes. And I know As that it takes you... Oh, it's way beyond this. So you just yeah, want yeah, yeah. to take that this particular For now, technique. yes, yes. I'll, I'll fill this out a bit more. So, um, uh, 
so in a way then awareness is also the kind of content of experience and all you could say in this in this view that one's getting into then all experience is basically a manifestation of mind uh, of um, awareness of mental energy and you can do that in in a very narrow way and I was focusing on one object you know in a very small way like this thing that I'm looking at or this pain in the body, whatever, or in, in a much more spacious way as we did before. Uh, so it's slightly different from the first approach in that one's actually regarding the mind as a stream of moments of consciousness with a knowing and a known aspect, and then questioning the sense of a world out there, that they're actually separate. Okay. Now, as April was pointing out... Um, the actual Chittamatra philosophy is incredibly complex uh, and it's enormously rich uh, and very subtle and sophisticated. So this, what I've outlined, is actually the crudest possible version of it, uh, rudest even version of it. Um, all is mind, all is awareness, everything is the manifestation, play of mind, awareness, consciousness, there's nothing out there. Um, you may feel uncomfortable with that. I don't know. Do people feel uncomfortable with it, or is it okay? That there's nothing actual material, really? It's okay? You say so. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like. No. Um, really, that's interesting. I, I feel quite uncomfortable with it, to say that nothing actually exists materially at all. I, I, it feels like a step too far. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm just curious. You think what? Well, you don't think you can take it in? Okay. Yeah, um, it's not important. I'm just curious. But does it mean that everything's just like a so, yeah. no. Well, to me, it does feel too far okay. because if I sit on the tracks of a train, for instance, and I look at it mm-hmm. and I say, "It's all in my mind," <laughs> what happens? Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, I just, just um, to me, I, I, I felt uncomfortable with it. But as I say, it's the crudest, rudest version. So sometimes, I guess I just want to say there's a lot more to Chittamatra philosophy. It's quite sophisticated and has, a, like everything else, has all degrees of subtlety and complexity, etc. So in this one, if one's... Uh, it's slightly different to this ground of being, op- opening up uh, in, in that uh, way um, that was from the first meditation. It's more like this stream of momentary consciousness, and there's not a separation, there's not a separation, there's not a separation. Slightly different approach. Um, so, both these, <coughs> as we said before, both these are provisional. Uh, they're provisional meditations, they're provisional understandings. Um, Some people stop here. Many people stop here. Many, 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 many people stop here. Why would you explain provisional? Provisional means uh, not final. Not a final resting place. Not a final truth. Not an ultimate truth. Going back to what Bill was asking before. Um, I see it as a stepping stone for many people. In other words, like I said, many people, this is going to be really, really helpful uh, for, for the unfolding of, of, of their understanding and their freedom. 
um, and leads, as uh, I think Bill was asking, it leads to, uh, it can lead to a full understanding of emptiness, uh, full realization, etc., and, uh, and all of that. Uh, there is an enormous amount of letting go here, and maybe you could even uh, sense it today. You know, the, the, the potential for a depth of letting go with these approaches is enormous, absolutely enormous, uh, for freedom, for peace, for love, for insight as well. Okay. Um, but they are not it, or it is not it. Okay, this space is not it. It's uh, it's not the unconditioned. And sometimes you will hear teachers calling it the unconditioned or the deathless. It's extremely popular as a, a place of uh, because it's quite accessible. And it, it's so striking to the heart and so impactful on the heart. Uh, it's extremely popular as a kind of um, I'll hang my hat there. Very very popular. Um, but as we said, going right back to the first talk, emptiness is not space, emptiness is also not awareness. Uh, it's not even, we'll get into this much later in the retreat, it's not even that the true nature of awareness is vastness. It's not actually that the nature of awareness is vast. And you read that a lot in text, but it actually has a subtlety of translation there. It's not actually that awareness is vast. It's just very, very helpful to see it that way. Very helpful. Um, but this is really tricky, and it's tricky teaching it, because um, I, I i don't know, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. I used to feel very uncertain with people, especially one-on-one, -on -one, if they were on long-term retreat, and this was really opening for them, and thinking, should I burst the bubble now, or wait until <laughs> later? <laughs> and almost wondering, they need to fall in love with it. They really need to... Um, really need to let it permeate the heart and saturate the being and the eyes and feel the freedom, feel the heart opening, be transformed by it. And if someone comes along and says, well, actually, that's not the Buddha's teaching on emptiness and that's not right, and da -da 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 -da, or someone like me bursts the bubble too easily, one can very easily just um, kind of dismiss it too early. Too early. And what will happen, I'll just go back to my default views. The, the, the normal views I have of life, I'm here, you're there, we're separate, there's this, awareness is somehow in here or here or whatever, all that, the default views, including inherent existence and self and all the rest of it, they don't really get shaken up. We just go back to that, because all we've done is, is said something intellectually. It hasn't really had the chance to uh, shake something up and free the being and move us in a certain direction. Um, so, but you get in, in certainly uh, <coughs> what you get is uh, people stopping here. A lot, lot of people in in Buddhist tradition, different Buddhist traditions, in uh, different other traditions, etc. It's so compelling, so beautiful, so freeing that, uh, as Juliet said, why why would I even want to go anymore? This must be it. Um, it's very common, but you also get very strongly. Uh, teachers and the tradition saying uh, it's not it. It's not it. Uh, so it's not it. It's not the unconditioned, this space. It's also not true that um, only the mind exists and nothing else, etc. So Nagarjuna, from his essay on the mind of enlightenment, saying Bodhicitta, says, the teaching by the subduer, that's the Buddha, the teaching by the Buddha that all these phenomena are mind only is in order to get rid of or to allay the fears of the childish. It is not suchness. It is not emptiness. 
in other words, it's a helpful stepping stone because it's very difficult to go all the way and see awareness has no inherent existence, time has no inherent existence, space has no inherent existence. It's very difficult. And oftentimes people will feel, if you say too much like that, it goes towards nihilism. That's people's ten tendency of association. Get afraid. Uh, it's a very, very helpful stepping stone. Um, that was Nagarjuna. Did you... It's okay, take I'm aware I was too quick. N A N A G A no? Okay. <laughs> um so thinking about it's uh, very uh wonderful and um that are there any um pitfalls and and uh, one might be that some very persuasive um teacher uh has these experiences and identifies himself as God, and then mm-hmm. does a lot of damage, mm-hmm. practical damage. Yeah, yeah, can be. What I see more, it can be absolutely. What I see more is um, people just stopping there and thinking they've discovered the ultimate truth of things, and that tends to be the more common uh, pitfall that I would see. But uh, yeah, I guess that could happen too. But I think it must have. Uh, would you say? Do people discuss the benefits? not just as a stepping stone, but for your relationship with others and yourself and your yeah, life yeah, yeah. in the world. Most definitely. So there are benefits here. That's why I want, I want to draw this... It's just a teaching modality. I, I really want to draw the science that don't throw this out too early. If it feels like it's helpful for you, do not throw it out too early. Is it the ultimate truth? No. In the past, I used to wait to, to break that news to people. <laughs> but um, now I've seen it actually doesn't matter too much. Uh, Maybe for some, I don't know, but um, uh, I would say, so can you just put that aside, that it's not the ultimate truth, and just keep keep going with this and keep playing with it, because it will bring love, it will bring connection, it will bring uh, a, a deep cutting of, of um, identification and contraction, etc. Definitely, definitely. Um, but I found it tricky teaching someone, I wonder, do I have to wean a person off it slowly, or, or what, you know? Um, Yeah. What's the difference between samadhi uh-huh. and this? Okay. And then the other one, once you have realized ultimate emptiness, can you still get back to this? Yeah. yeah. The second one, yes, most definitely. And uh, just to share a story that. Um, what's that? Would you want to? Would you want to? Um, it's, it's fun. If nothing else, Even this stage, like I said, with those different colours, there's different flavours of it. Like you could experience it this way or that way or that way, or you know. And um, a person might want to just keep the mind malleable, etc., and experience a certain way of seeing. Yeah, you, you would not be so drawn to it. Certainly, if you've tasted something deeper, you would not be so drawn. You might have to think, well, let's, you know, whatever. Um, but but yeah, but you could. There's nothing blocking it. It's certainly not. Um, in terms of the first, uh, and so I was just going to share a story. I had, I had a, a student who was here for um, uh, over quite a while on different retreats, and then really building up his practice very, very deeply, and then came for a year retreat. And he was one of the only people I've worked with who didn't, um, who didn't go via this to get to deeper, deeper kind of understandings and realizations. And then I gave a talk at one point and approached this from a different angle, and he was there. And he wrote me a note, um, so I really appreciate that. It made me practice in, in this way, which we hadn't talked about before. 
And then um, I said, go, well, go, you know, explore that. And then a couple of days later, I got another note saying um, something like, whatever one might say about the Chittamatrins, they sure know how to have a good time. So the texts are split on this. Text, you, if you read a lot of uh, Mahayana texts, you will um, encounter different opinions. And even in the same sutra, it gets quite confusing. Uh, I view it as a provisional teaching, a stepping stone teaching that one might even use in the same breath or in the same paragraph as, as a higher teaching. So we've talked about, and John has talked about, and I've talked about, and even in one sutra uh, called the Dasha Bhumika Sutra, it means ten, 10 grounds of awakening sutra, um, it's uh, the Chittamatrians claim that the Buddha denied the existence of a material world and said, oh, it's all mind, it's all the stuff of an inherently existing awareness. But in that very same sutra, they say that consciousness, awareness, mind, or whatever, arises, guess what, dependent on ignorance and sankharas. So it's skillful means. Um, <clears throat> now... This is, I'm going to repeat this, but it's really, really important. You don't have to use this. You don't have to go this way if it feels like it's not helpful. You, you absolutely don't have to. Um, but don't object to it just on intellectual grounds that, well, you know, such and such. Don't, that's, that's, uh, or, uh, you know, if that's the case, or we just have one or two experiences, it won't be enough for it to transform the heart. It won't be enough. And we will resort to our default views. I didn't answer your first question yet. Sorry, I'll, I'll get to it right now. Um, we will resort to our... De- we might hold certain intellectual views, but deep down in the heart, in the driving seat of our life, the default views of inherent existence will still be unchallenged or not challenged very deeply. And this is a way to really begin getting hold of those views and really shaking the foundations of them. It doesn't uproot them, but it really starts shaking them. So don't... If you feel it's working especially, don't just object to it on intellectual grounds. Uh, April's question, what's the difference between samadhi and this state? Samadhi is an interesting word. I, I probably use it sloppily. Uh, so there are different... Um, you could equate samadhi just with what's called the eight jhanas. Um, but even then, there are some jhanas that relate very much to this experience. Uh, they're kind of... <clears throat> you get, as I said, a whole texture of flavors that kind of revolve around more of the formless jhanas. Um, I sometimes use the word samadhi as when I talked on samadhi. It's just a state of being to some degree where there's a unification, where there's settledness. It could be feel like it's on one object. It could feel like it's really in the body, or it could even open up in, in this way and include phenomena. But because of the unification, the steadiness and the well-being, it's still a state of samadhi. So you can talk about samadhi states that come out of concentration and samadhi that comes out of open insight. And when you're in this kind of space and it feels like, boom, and sometimes people do this and they just keep letting go and it's lovely, 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 you can sit for a long time, you know, or longer than one's used to. Um, uh, and that's a, a kind of insight samadhi, you could say. Yeah. So it is a state of mind. Ultimately speaking, it's a state of mind. So remember I quoted a Zogchen, um, <coughs> a Zogchen aphorism or whatever it's called. Trust your experience, but keep refining your view. So much wisdom in that. Trust your experience, but keep refining your view. 
So trusting the meditative experience and what, uh, even if it's singing to you very poetically and you want to use the language, was trust your experience but keep refining that, letting it refine. What I see is a lot of people not refining the view and then other people not trusting the experience. And somewhere in there, to me, it feels like, is, is a very skillful way of letting things really deepen and organically uh, transform the being. Is that wrong? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but well, talking about that, I... When we did that meditation this morning, yeah. I, um, I was having difficulty um, experiencing things arising from the space. Uh-huh. They would dissolve into the space, mm-hmm. but there was a strong feeling that they were arising more sort of within me. Okay. And and then the sort of the, the sort of sense of my body started growing and growing and growing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And 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 it, I mean it was kind of like basically sort of becoming one with the awareness. Mm-hmm. But but my thinking was oh, this is just kind of somehow my ego getting bigger, mm. or I'm not I'm mm. not sort of letting go. It seemed like somehow because it was mm. associated with, my, with myself mm. that I shouldn't be going there. Yeah. And so I didn't sort of follow it, and I, I really didn't know whether I should or I shouldn't. Cause mm. it just sort of Interesting. Um, well, that's interesting. I, I never heard that before, and I'm uh, sure it happens. Um, I wonder, again letting the sense of relief or release lead you. In other words, if it feels like the body and the self, so to speak, is growing in more kind of oneness that way, and with it is a sense of relief and release, they they are the uh, indicators of insight doing its work. Mm. So if that was there... Yeah, it was, but I kind of squashed it. I hear you. So I would trust it. I would trust it. Because we use this word self, but it wasn't the personality expanding. It was more a sense of something expanding. There was still some identification with it. Someone else brought this up in an interview today. It's still okay. It's still going to work as a stepping stone as long as that relief and release are there. And eventually one would be able to look at that remaining identification and kind of dissolve that too. Um, But I would say that's very helpful. Uh, So go for it. But trust, this is part of trusting experience. If it feels like it's freeing, Trust it, follow it, and let it deepen. And maybe, this I'm not sure if this is right, but sometimes actually doing this, the sense of things dissolving into the space actually at one point becomes more prominent than the sense of things arising. And when things dissolve, there's also more of a tendency to let go. It's like you, you let them go, you let them go. And that's actually very helpful for the whole thing unfolding. So you could also just lean the attention a bit more into the dissolving into the space too. I hear you, and I'm just saying you could yeah. have just just li- yeah. not worried so much about the arising and just tuned a bit more. That's another option. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Sir. Mm-hmm. Can you just clarify the, the meditation this morning? Does that only take us up to this platform, or does that take us beyond when we consider awareness itself to be an impression? When we consider the sense of self to be an impression in awareness. Yeah. Does it take us uh, the, If you consider the sense of self to be just an impression in awareness, it won't take you beyond this platform. It's still not. It's oh. still not. The, the sense of self, but oh, it, the sense of awareness, if that's what you meant to say. Because uh, there's, two, there's two things I can... Uh, let me so talk and see if I can... If you consider the sense of self yeah. part of the awareness, yeah. then it still only takes you to the platform. Yes, but that thing I threw out and I called a cheap trick, if I, call, if I see the sense of awareness as an awareness, there's a degree to which it can move, and, and quite an important degree, that it can move beyond this. 
I wouldn't say that way of doing it will expose the full understanding of dependent arising emptiness, but it can certainly take the whole thing to another level. It is a bit, I, I use the word, maybe not respectful to say cheap trick, but it, it doesn't expose that whole, that whole fullness of the understanding of, of emptiness and dependent arising. But it can lead you beyond this sense of awareness as something, so to speak, that kind of... See, the thing about this big awareness, and we'll get to this later in the retreat, is that it appears to be continuous and permanent in time. In other words, things are happening, but this stays steady. And because it's still something, so to speak, with space and with time, it yet hasn't gone beyond space and time. Okay? Do <laughs> um, the, the, the thing that's liberating about this stage of seeing is is the very steadiness and permanence, seeming permanence of it in time. It's like anything can happen, as I said, and the space stays like the space. Anything can happen, space and awareness stays like, and it seems like phew, it's permanent. And that's why people start thinking, this must be the unconditioned. This must be the deathless, because the word deathless seems to imply permanence. Actually, deathless implies beyond time. Not not permanent, not impermanent. We'll, we'll get to this later. There, are there people then that they go about their daily affairs and they're constantly in the state of love and unification? That seems implausible. Um, I, pe- there are people who say that they are. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, I, I think that it's something that's fairly easy to practice to have more and more and more of one's time, and really quite a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's still, I would say, an impermanent state. But there are people mm-hmm. who say they are, and yeah, maybe, who knows. But the important thing, not to me, is so much whether it's possible to hang out with it permanently. Because as we, I think it was a couple of nights ago, or whenever, uh, I don't know when, more importantly is the fact that it's still a fabricated perception rather than that it's permanent. And that's actually the, the, the thing that just goes... The, the reason I ask is that, um, that even if when you're in it, it seems permanent, yeah. you surely will notice when it's gone and notice the difference. And unless you're really kind of tricking yourself and say, well, I thought it was permanent, but yeah. here I am. Yes. Crabby old man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really Once important. Again, really and and you know, you know what? Um, people lie as well. Yeah. People lie and um, and don't always. You don't always share the truth about about their experience. About, yeah. and, and 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 people deceive themselves as well. Um, so that that happens too. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it may well be possible for someone to uh, abide in this permanently. And, uh, and uh, you know, either karmic predispositions, certainly, um, I would say that yeah, it's probably possible. Or sincerely persuade themselves. Yeah, e- e- either way, but let's say even the first one, genuinely abiding it in it permanently in this lifetime, I would still say it's not the fullness of understanding or liberation, because it's still on the level of fabricated perception. And that's actually the significant thing. But we will get to all this. I, I'm uh, trying to walk this tightrope between saying it's not it, but go for it kind of thing. Um, eventually, uh, this, this view of this spacious awareness or this non-separation, either, either one, it actually becomes something you can turn on and off at will. You can just kind of click the mind into it with a lot of practice and click it out. Uh, And in that, as we said, things appear less substantial and more empty. 
Empty, though, in this sense, really means empty of existing as something other than the play of awareness, the substance of awareness. So like, for instance, like the example of seeing it as a dream tiger. However, I still say that this is relevant in the fuller understanding of dependent arising emptiness. Why? So, actually, let's just backtrack and talk about this whole practice. So, the person could say, you know, this morning in the guided meditation you were using pretty suggestive language and you were kind of prompting our experience in a certain direction, which I, I will admit to. <laughs> um, and a person could say, well, I'm imagining this space. I'm imagining it. Uh, I'm suggesting it to myself. But, again, it's a skillful means. It's a way of looking that brings freedom. And insights come out of it. And that's really the... You know, not to, why not to dismiss it as well? What are the insights? And this this has to do with dependent arising. The more I let go, the more I let go in relation to experience, the less substantiality the perception of that experience has. That is very significant in terms of dependent arising. It may not it may not seem it right now. Do do you understand? The more I let go, the less substantial things appear. They appear less solid and substantial. And in terms of understanding the dependent arising of perception, that's very significant. It's a very significant part of that journey. And the more I let go, the less separateness I feel. That's also part of understanding dependent arising. And the more I let go, the less self-sense, the quieter the self-sense. Also very important understanding emptiness and dependent arising. And... All of that happening, actually, in the whole practice of letting go and all this happening, leads to more letting go. And with more letting go, deeper insights that I haven't talked about tonight begin opening within this space. It, it go, all this stuff, talking about these tunnels, these avenues that we just... So I say develop this practice, develop this practice, because it will, it will go beyond what it seems to be telling us right now. Other insights will unfold from it. And all that is part of understanding dependent arising emptiness deeper and deeper, gradually. So there is a lot of beauty here and a lot of deep freedom. Uh, and if it, you don't have to, as I said, but if it feels like it's, hmm, this could be something here for me, I feel a little bit of something, um, play with it, go for it, incorporate it. Where is this taking from? Uh, everywhere. I mean, the, the, the strict Chittamatra, the second version, that would be strictly Chittamatra, sort of one. Um, just what? Yeah, yeah. It's um, Like I said, it's so much the natural way that consciousness would open anyway in time with letting go that I was more just synthesizing a lot of ways that would kind of encourage that movement, that's all. Yeah. Okie doke. Grasping, clinging. Okay. Um, is there a way? Um, I know we're making a tape, a copy of this. Is there a way to, to for for the guided meditation? Is there a copy of it? Yeah, there's a copy from so last year. Listen. There's a copy. Do again, yeah. Again. There's a copy from last year. Quite similar, not exactly the same. In the library, in the library but it's called 
guided meditation on chitta matra. Okay, and uh, you know how the library works. There's folders of yes. different teachers, so it's in there. Because so, it seems to me yeah. that um, for me anyway, mm-hmm. um, it was a very powerful experience. Good, good, yeah. Um, and now with all of the content you've given us tonight, mm-hmm. um, um, I would like to do it again. Yeah, go for it. It's elusive. Get the tape. So, Get the tape and do it as much as you want, but. Yeah. Um, be- begin to kind of, in time, wean, your, wean yourself off of it so that you can just really get a sense of, oh, this is how I'm going back. Well, I'm not going to get stuck on it. I just I'm not worried about that. Away. Yeah, go for so it. What's, what's it called again? Guided Meditation on Chitta Matra. Something like that. Um, yeah. Could I just ask a question about the, f- the phrase you used, um, which I wasn't quite sure to, that I understood. I was getting the right meaning of it, and uh, it was impression on... Impressions awareness. in awareness, yeah. Did so you say impression on awareness or impression... Impre- I think I said impressions in awareness. Yeah, the self... Was, what was the full... Um, I, I think in, what I said this morning in the guided meditation was, can is it possible in that space to to sense or to see or to, to feel that all... Everything that arises, all experience that arises, is just an impression in awareness, like reflections on the surface of a lake. Yes. And so even as one's sitting and one has a sense of self, yeah. like, or you, if you've got a visual mind, you see your body sitting there and you think, oh, that's myself, that even that is also an impression in awareness. Even that, too, is, is just like a reflection in the, in the surface of the lake. So that, that I can't quite get my head around those two sentences. Impression... In, for me, what comes into my mind when you say an impression on awareness is like something going, like mm-hmm. an impression, but mm-hmm. then a reflection on a lake is yeah. like he's reflecting off the lake, so they're kind of... When you look at a reflection on the, on the lake, uh, the actual experience of it looks like it's it's like a painting painted on the surface of a lake, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's almost like that the substance then of of the impression is something that's in the substance of the lake. And that's more the sense that I wanted to convey. Yeah. Um, this, so, I, as I said, I was just threw out a lot of suggestive terms this morning, mm-hmm. and someone else said, uh, I can't remember who it was, that, that that phrase didn't particularly work for them. Mm-hmm. And for someone else, that one would have been very helpful, and another one wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Uh, fine, doesn't doesn't really matter. So, more, if you can get, if I understand what I said tonight, and what I was trying to convey, what helps you move towards that sense of relating to things? Mm-hmm. And if, it, if that little phrase doesn't work, leave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? The two elements having the same substance. Yeah. Is that the Chitta Matra sort of that sort of view? Yes. Of yeah. That's the that's um, like I said. I don't actually know that much about all the complexities of Chitta Matra, but that would be a very crude version of it. That it's based on that. It's actually much more complicated. But that's a, that's a starting point that you can use as a meditation. Yeah. Yeah. So Chitta Matra literally means mind only. In other words, that there is on, only mind. Uh-huh. Um, anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the bit where you said, and, and I asked you, well, can't, you know, what, why would you want to go beyond? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's anything you can say that's reassuring. Um, like, what is beyond um, that? We'll get to it. 
we'll get to it. All I can say, as I, as I said before, is it's emptiness is not emptiness is not a teaching of disappointment. It's really, really not. And I know sometimes people convey it that way. It's like you might have an idea of God, but that's empty. Get over it, kind of thing. Deal with it. Um, all I can say that for a practitioner who experiences emptiness, there may at times be experiences of fear or grief or bereftness at times, but generally the tenor of it is joy, uh, beauty, openness, loveliness, love, uh, all of that, peace. You know, so it's that it's going somewhere even more lovely. Uh, I uh, hands down more lovely, hands down more lovely, and. Um, uh, hard to put into words, which is why I said that thing. When I said that thing about I could talk precisely or poetically, I was really saying that for the future, because we're going to get very subtle and sophisticated with dependent rising where this goes later. But I think just to know that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't cut off devotion, absolutely. And I said last night, em- to me, the deeper one goes into emptiness, the more the sense of devotion the more the sense of love, the more the sense of wanting to give and being free to give and having capacity to give and, that, that, and the desire in the being moving to want to give and, and the aspirations crystallizing deeply in the being, more love, more connection, more freedom, more peace, all of that. That's, that's where emptiness is going. Um, in the fear of the self, we fear the exact opposite and, and that's the natural deluded fear of the self. And that, but it's mistaken. It's mistaken. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last one. Yeah. Um, wait, can you just say a little more about the substance when you talk about the substance being the same? Yeah. So um, this relates to what Diana asked. Um, substance is a funny word. All these words are funny. They're all they're all poetic suggestions. That that's all because. Um, uh, so at one point I said it's water. It's all water. Now obviously I don't mean real water. Otherwise we'd all you know need scuba equipment in, you know. um, so obviously it's not that but um, um, <laughs> um, but there, there's something to suggest um, usually we have a sense of um, solidity of things that things are, are made of something and maybe awareness is, is not or, and, and that there's a world out there that's separate things and so this one is feeling of it's all the same texture uh, it's all the same stuff. Even if that stuff feels, as Diana was saying, it's actually it's not a stuff. It's actually an, an emptiness. It's a space. It's a a non non thing, so to speak. But the, that emptiness, spacious texture pervades things in the same way as silence can feel to pervade sound sometimes. So that's really and just throwing out different words that might encourage that sense of thing. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I mean, if you it, it will come anyway in time. It's like if you just hang out in, in however much that space is established and just keep letting go and just keep getting a sense of the space, it will naturally, uh, in its own time, um, sometimes you'll get a sense of things being, we could say, the same substance, the same stuff, the same emptiness, the same whatever. It will just come na- It's the natural way the mind will move. It's the natural way uh, that the more we, we let go that the consciousness unfolds, that the perception, rather, unfolds. Um, so it'll come anyway, uh, and it could come like via the silence and the sound. It can come lots of different ways. Yeah. I, I'm um, aware. I, I have. To, to go. I, you know, during the day, there's a million and one little moments, mm-hmm. and um, 
but they all seem so mundane. I mean, they're insights, but they... I, I don't know that I'm dissolving myself in them. Okay. They seem so mundane. They just seem like, okay, there's another one, you know. But I don't see that it's leading me to some big aha yet. Um, I mean, they're good. If, if I weren't here and they were happening... Uh -huh. You know, in on Broadway in Cambridge, I'd be very happy. But here I'm thinking, well, maybe there's more that's supposed to be. Are you talking about meditation experiences yeah, you're having? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. not just meditation, just walking mm -hmm. down the hall, yeah. doing my laundry, yeah. making the bed, okay. having a little bubble of insight mm -hmm. come up, mm -hmm. which wouldn't happen that frequently yeah. in normal life because sure. we're so busy. Sure. And I'm, I keep trying to bridge that and say, so where's the self in this? Uh-huh. Where's, where's the emptiness? I, I, I'm trying to make a connection. Okay. Um, make a connection between the, well, t the teachings that we're giving yeah, and... and yeah, all these wonderful little insights and, and, and awarenesses mm. and save it for when I meet with you uh, in two weeks. Okay. <laughs> two weeks, one thing <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure what you're asking, that, 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 um, that there's, there doesn't seem to be a sense of the insights, the insights that are unfolding don't seem to have much to do with emptiness and what yeah, we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, if we go back right, so something I said, there's understanding, there's meditation, and there's life, yes. we could say. Uh, artificial division, but let's make that division. So we're talking about emptiness, and you're taking notes, and you're asking questions. The understanding is is beginning to happen, and you're working on that. The meditation, the specific meditations that we're doing, are in line with emptiness, etc. And I said right at the beginning of the retreat, what we want also is to begin finding ways to, to use the emptiness to see in in moving in the day, I feel oh, I don't like what they're serving for lunch today or I really hope they serve whatever it is that I enjoyed last week right there, it's time to see emptiness remember in the first talk, talk about the dot to dot? Yeah, yeah. that's emptiness that's beginning to look at emptiness so kick that in it does kick in, but I didn't call it that Okay, Thank good. But that's that's a you know what we've been do what I'm doing in this whole retreat is I'm taking this concept of emptiness and I'm just I'm just going like this, and just going deeper, gradually deeper and deeper and deeper with it. But we can always go back to basics, always, and I really really want you to. So I don't I don't want for anyone, you know, it's all very well coming in here and talking that awareness doesn't have inherent existence, and then grumbling about what you have for lunch. It kind of doesn't go together, <laughs> you know. So right there, when I'm grumbling, can I bring the reflections in. If I can't bring the emptiness reflections in, can I bring something else yeah. in? So, dot to dot we talked about. We talked about how the mind gets um, sucked into uh, to seeing what's negative in a way that it has no space and doesn't see the space around things. We talked about how the mood colors things. All this, it's all emptiness. It's all, it's all to do with emptiness. Mindfulness and its relationship to emptiness. And so, understanding deepens, meditation deepens, and we're using the stuff in life. And, and, and um, it would be a shame not to, not to bring it into the retreat life, you know, and all the things that we find difficult or 
grasp that or whatever well, on the retreat. Makes me all good. Because I didn't know how to label those other okay. than ah. Yeah. Good. You know, I'm seeing mm-hmm. this. Yes. But I, I couldn't mm-hmm. find the yeah. connection. Good. Or I couldn't label it. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Good. Good. So we should stop. Um, let's have a quiet moment together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.